You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Angie, and today I have a very special guest. I'm super excited for this interview. It's been a topic that we've moderately touched on in some of the podcasts when we've done episodes on big cats. But today I have an expert with me, Katie Cannon. She's an education director at the Carolina Tiger Rescue, which is a top-rated nonprofit sanctuary with a mission of saving and protecting wildcats in captivity and in the wild. Plus, the Carolina Tiger Rescue is the only federally accredited wildcat sanctuary in North Carolina. So Katie Cannon, I'm super excited to have you here talking big cats, sanctuaries, some of the laws involving big cats and why, depending on what state you live in, there might be a big cat that's privately owned next door to you that you may not know about and how we can work towards changing that, not only to protect ourselves, but more importantly, to protect these beautiful wildcats. And especially this past month, we've been featuring tigers. So we're going to focus on the tiger today. Welcome, Katie. Hello. Good morning. I'm so glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, and you actually listened to one of our Tiger podcasts, and you reached out to us. I did. I was listening to, um, so I've listened to all of the ones about tigers, of course, because that's my <laughs> life. Um, but I was listening to it, and I, I was so excited. I, I watch a lot of things on tigers. I feel like you can never learn enough. And so I, anything that there's tigers, I go, oh, I, I just need to listen. Is there something that I can know more about? something that I've gotten wrong or, you know, anything like that. And I was thrilled to hear about it in the first episode of Tigers that you guys talked about tigers in captivity and, um, and you touched on it. And I was like, Ooh, maybe, maybe they'd be interested in talking about that side of it as well. Obviously there are, um, a huge, there's a huge problem of wild tigers, um, and they're dwindling populations, but it's also, uh, the other side of that is there's a huge problem of tigers here in the United States as well that a lot of people just don't know about. Um, yes. so I was hoping to chat with you about that and hopefully get the word out there as well. Yes. That's why today's interview is going to be so exciting because on our normal podcast where we feature species a week, unfortunately we can't touch on every issue out there. Our podcast would be hours and hours long. 
I, I'm actually kind of okay with that. <laughs> we'd, have to, we'd have to pull our listeners and see. But that's why we love to bring experts like yourself on here. And to be quite frank, I did, of course, a little bit of research preparing for this interview, but I didn't really even understand what the laws were in my own state of Florida as far as private tiger ownership and the difference of who can own a tiger and all of that. So listeners, please stick with us today. We're going to hopefully answer a lot of those questions and get you some information on how you can help not only locally in your state, but of course, to protect tigers in the wild. Because as we talked about in the podcast, tigers living in the wild are endangered and in big trouble due to poaching and habitat loss. And I think that it's up to us here in the States to do what we can do to help make an impact overseas. And so with that being said, Katie, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? Uh, did you always know that you wanted to work with animals? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, you're hard pressed to find a kid who doesn't at some point say they want to work with animals and then, and then they decide, no, I want to be something else. Right. Um, I definitely always knew I wanted to work with animals in some capacity. I, I grew up in North Carolina and we would go to the beach. And so marine biologist was on my list. And then I realized how much schooling that would be and decided that that was probably not the best option. Um, and then I grew up as the, uh, the daughter of two teachers. And so teaching was in my blood and I yes. um, have a degree in education. And so I actually taught a uh, classroom Um for five and a half years and had come out to, um, a tour here at the tiger rescue and fell in love and, and decided, okay, I want to get involved. And so I started to volunteer and I was a tour guide and I helped out with summer camp. And then, um, if you will, the stars aligned and they needed an education director. And I decided, you know, I, as much as I love teaching, I want to teach about the things that I'm passionate about. And it's not about, um, variables and, and, you know, math and all that. I want to teach about tigers and, um, see what I can do to help them because they don't, you know, they don't have a voice. So I want to give that to them. Excellent. Yes, I do agree. I, I love teaching as well too. And so to be able to teach about animals is just pretty much, like you said, the stars aligned. So yes, awesome. And you mentioned that your role at the Tiger Sanctuary is education director, which is such an amazing role. And people that work behind the scenes at sanctuaries, certain sanctuaries and zoos and aquariums know that a lot of times there are education directors and education staff that are doing just incredible things behind the scenes that you probably aren't even aware at, maybe running camps, things like this. Um, but what does an average day look like for you as in your role as education director and educating children? I know when we started the interview, when we first got on our phone call, there was a bazillion children in the background <laughs> laughing and having fun. So yeah, if you could just share a little bit about what your day looks like, an average day for you. I'm sure they're different, give or take, but yeah, give us a yeah. little behind the scenes sneak peek. Yeah. So the good news is, is, is it's not the same every day. Um, which is what I love. I don't quite know what I'm going to walk into every day. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, which prevents, you know, sometimes people get bored with their job and I certainly do not. Um, so a lot of what I do is currently we're gearing up for summer camps. We have five weeks of summer camps coming up. And so we're getting stuff ready for them, trying to figure out what can we do new, um, that, uh, that returning campers haven't done, but also keeping it, uh, within our, 
values and um, the educa- keeping the educational piece at the at the forefront. So we do have field trips. We have um, tours, public tours on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. What is really important to us is that our animals who are along the tour path do not get tired of seeing people. And so we always have at least two days a week where we do not allow um, any tours or any visitors so that they get a break and so that they can feel comfortable. But then also that they're, it's good enrichment for them and they're curious when a tour of kids does come up. Um, and it, it provides a better experience for the kids as well that um, – you know, we didn't have any tours yesterday, so Raja Tiger will be excited to see a big group of kids today, and we'll come over and shuffle for them. Um, I also have put together a kids' website within the last year. We are working to get more into schools. Um, anything that can kind of get our message out there to help people understand what it is we do, why we do it, and, um, you know, then it's all hands on deck. So sometimes it's the keepers need an extra hand with something, and so they're, you know, they grab me and... Um, I never wear anything nice here because I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, the same thing for me. I'm a mom of two little boys. So in fact, there you, go. <laughs> you can't quite see it because of the, the way the camera's angled, but I have a huge stain on my low, on the lower part of my shirt. And as I was walking into school today with the boys, I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> oh, well, yes, doesn't matter. And so you pretty much have to be prepared for anything each day. Yeah. So, um, in terms of that as well, back in, um, uh, no, I'm sorry, January, because it's already May. Um, back in January, uh, I walked into work and within a couple hours, I was headed, um, unknown to me at the time and we didn't know, but I was headed out on a rescue to go to Indianapolis to pick up a new cat. Um, and so it was, I had to dash home and grab a bag and then, get on the road so we could go pick him up. And it was, um, it was pretty awesome. So it is, uh, the job definitely involves flexibility. It definitely involves, um, being organized to a point, but it is not so rigid that, you know, whatever was supposed to happen that day got pushed aside because we had a a new guy who needed a new home and and the animal, yeah, the animals come first, right? The the emails can wait. Absolutely. Well, and since we're focusing this month on tigers and talking about, tigers in general today. Uh, can you give me just a brief description of what it's like to work with such an iconic and, and endangered animal on a daily basis? Oh, give me a hard one. <laughs> I don't, I, I've never been good at describing that because it is just, it sounds cliche, but it's just indescribable. Here are these massive apex predators who in the wild, you know, seemingly don't need anybody and here in captivity, they need us. Um, they need us to respect them and they need us to care for them. Um, that by no means makes them safe in any stretch of the imagination, but it's some of the stories of the animals that we have here will just, in my opinion, break your heart and go, what in the world? Um, but then b- to know that they live here with uh, not a care in the world, except when the food truck's coming by is pretty awesome. <laughs> they don't have to worry about, you know, and I know we're talking about tigers, but we have a lion who was formerly used uh, in a haunted house as a prop for the first part of his life. Um, we have animals who used to be used in Las Vegas shows um, who are declawed and defanged and things that just, I never knew were problems um, until I started working here. And then I was able to see the 
what a huge scope of a problem it is. And so to go out there and to see how happy they are, I know we're putting human emotions on them, but how content they are and how comfortable they are here. You know, if anybody been around a cat, they show their belly, they're comfortable. Um, we see a lot of bellies around here, which is exciting. Oh, that's so wonderful. And honestly, Katie, I think you hit the nail on the head uh, as far as working with some of these, any animals, if you love them, but especially such a iconic, large apex predator is indescribable. And I think that actually mm-hmm. hit the nail on the head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, do you have a, it's probably an unfair question. I know if somebody asked me this question about some of the animals I worked with, I would say, I don't have a favorite, but do you have <laughs> maybe a favorite tiger or a favorite story about a tiger or any big cat that you've worked with? Yeah. Um, so I get that question asked a lot and I think it's, um, Oh good. I gave I'm you an like, easy one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're totally fine. Um, so it's funny because, you know, as a teacher, I couldn't have favorites. And then I came out here and I'm like, oh, I can have favorites. It's totally fine. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I can say it. Um, so, yeah. So my favorite tiger, unfortunately, is, has passed away. Um, her name was Kayla. And she was, when she was six months old, found on the side of the road outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, with another tiger cub who we named Raja. Just like on the side of the road. Yeah. Just on the side of this the road. This is uh, the part Am of I the under- tour. I'm that- understanding this correctly. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Okay. Well, we're right? going yeah, to get the there uh, later on in the podcast of why this happens. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So the, so the way it happened was there was an off-duty. It was back in um, January of 2005 and an off-duty police officer was uh driving down the road and he saw a woman pulled over it was a saturday morning so he said oh well just i'll I'll be the nice officer that i am and pull over and see if she needs help and so she he pulled over and ma'am do you need some help and she said yeah there's there's two tiger cubs up there um and and sure enough there were and so he does what uh any logical person does he calls 911 and, um, what he did next to actually save their lives is he stopped traffic both ways and did not let anybody approach them. He didn't get near them. He didn't let anybody get near them. He just stopped traffic both ways and wait for, waited for backup. Cause had anybody approached them and bitten, been bitten or scratched by them, sure. um, they had, mm-hmm. they would, they would likely been euthanized. So he calls 911 and we actually have the 911 call and it's, it's pretty entertaining whenever I think I'm having a bad day. <laughs> oh, I go, well, goodness. I wasn't that dispatcher that morning. Um, so, you know, he says, my name is officer so-and-so and here's my badge number. And, um, and you kind of hear him hesitate and he goes, there's two tigers on the, on the side of the road. And he starts to speed up. Cause he's like, I just have to get this out. Um, there's two tiger cubs on the side of the road and I need some backup. I'm going to need you to send animal control. And as he finishes, it's just radio silent. Um, and finally the dispatcher says, do what? And he says, I know it sounds ridiculous, but there's two tiger cubs on the side of the road. I need you to send back up, uh, send out animal control. Um, the, the traffic's starting to get backed up. And, and she responds with, sir, this is 911. This is for emergencies. And he goes, I know, I'm a police officer. <laughs> so finally, finally, he convinces her that there are tiger cubs on the side of the road and that he does need some help. And so by the time animal control gets out there, Raja is on one side of the yellow lines in the middle of the lane, sunning himself in uh, one county and half a mile up. Kayla is on the other side of the road um, 
in the different in a different county, the next the neighboring county. So two different animal controls actually had to come out and pick them up. Um, and during all this time, they're calling the the North Carolina Zoo, uh, which is about forty five minutes west of us, and they're saying, well, actually, we don't we don't take tigers, but we know who does. Um, and they called us over here, and we worked it with the zoo for them to be quarantined there and spayed and neutered there, and then we got them when they're about eight months old. And Raja will be um, 15 in July, actually. So he's been here almost his entire life. Um, but back to your original question as to my favorite, Kayla was my favorite because I had the opportunity to do operant conditioning with her. And um, I, first of all, loved her personality. She was the dominant of the pair. They lived together for most of their lives. And if they were coming over, he knew to get out of her way, even though he had about a hundred pounds on her. Um, and he just stepped out of her way and was like, okay, you're the boss. Um, and, and when you do operant conditioning with an animal, um, and spend that much time with them and, and all it is, you just get to know their personalities and they get to know you and they recognize you as a source of food, of course. Um, but there would be times where, uh, a coworker would be doing a tour and Kayla wouldn't come Aww, down for the tour group. Yeah. So I'd walk over and she'd come down um, and she would shuffle. And if I, and then I couldn't walk away cause then she'd walk away. So it's just nice. You do make a connection with them. And uh, one word we never use here is the word friendly in terms of our animals because they're not friendly. They are wild and dangerous animals. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't make a connection. And that doesn't mean that they don't favor some people over others and she started to have some health problems. And so as she started, her health started to decline, the keepers would occasionally call me out and say, Hey, can you come see if you can get her up and over? So she'll take her meds. And, um, and so even as she was, is declining in her health, she would come over for me and, um, take her meds or we would just sit there by the fence, um, on opposing sides of the fence and, uh, just hang out. And it's so peaceful and, and, so yeah, so it would be Kayla. That was my girl. And so now it's, <laughs> no. oh, I'm trying real hard not to get attached to anybody because it is, it is hard. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it is difficult, <laughs> but there's a few out there who, you know, I love them all, of course. And it's, um, it's hard not to love them, but all their differing personalities, you always find one. Yes. Yes. It really is for anybody that even has pets at home let alone have, have worked with exotic animals in like a zoo or sanctuary setting. They have personalities. I mean, there's just, there's no denying that. And, oh, yeah. and like you said, it's fun when you connect with one or when you can relate to one more than another. And definitely building bonds through mm -hmm. operant conditioning is, uh, it's like indescribable, mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, definitely. switching gears a little bit here, I, I'd love to educate not only myself, but, um, also the listeners on this term sanctuary. A lot of people, have a zoo or an aquarium in their city that they live in or nearby and have visited one. So I think, of course, we all know there's a different degree of the zoo, whether it's accredited or not and different styles. But I think people are a little bit more familiar with that term. However, I think sanctuary is one that is often either you misunderstood. So could you help maybe explain what is a sanctuary and what's a sanctuary's purpose? Yeah, so we're the only federally, as you said, the only federally accredited wildcat sanctuary in North Carolina, which means four things. So we are a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. Um, to take that even further, we do not get any state or federal funding. We raise all of our own money. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so we do not allow any public contact with our animals. Um, so another, uh, we take that one step further in that we don't have contact with our animals. Um, so these guys are wild and dangerous animals and, and it is our belief that, um, they deserve that respect. And I know that people respect them, but it is that if something was to happen, um, somebody was to get too close or go in or anything like that, not only would the life of that animal be at risk, but the lives of our 42 other animals would also be at risk. And we're just not willing to take that risk. Um, they didn't ask to be here. They didn't ask to be a tiger or a caracal or a lion. Um, and they are wild and they are dangerous. They are literally built uh, to kill. And we are going to give them that space and that respect um, so that they can continue to have the best life here. Uh, we do not do any breeding. Our animals are um, neutered or spayed. We typically will neuter the male. It's less invasive than spaying a female. Um, and then the last thing is we do not buy, sell, or trade any of our animals or their parts. And so once they come to Carolina Tiger Rescue, they are here for life. We do not buy animals from, you know, we've rescued from roadside zoos or we've rescued from uh, failing um, sanctuaries or anything like that. And no money is ever exchanged for those animals because we don't want, we've, we've rescued, uh, our biggest rescue is in 2016 from a roadside zoo in Colorado and they were doing cub petting. And what we don't want is, uh, you know, from this facility that had 110 animals on four acres of land, we don't want him to then say, well, 110 was too many, but now I have this money. So let me go get 40 instead. Cause then we're part right. of the problem instead of part of the solution. And so, um, the animals are donated to us. If they come from private owners, they sign documents that say they're not going to go get another one because what we don't want is for them to say, well, a tiger was too big and too much work, but maybe a serval would be a better route. No, we want to end um, private ownership of these guys. We do not believe that they should be in the hands of, of people um, in the private setting. And, and so also as, as you guys touched on in um, talking about the wild tigers is, you know, these guys are worth, the tigers are worth a lot of money um, on the black market. Their, their parts are sold, you know, a, a dead tiger can be worth 50 to $60,000 on the black market. And so we, again, don't want any part of that. And we're not going to sell their parts. That is not why they're here. Um, and we don't believe in that and, or that that should be a thing that should continue anyway. So, um, once they're here, they stay here. They do not leave our facility, um, uh, for any reason. Wonderful. And how many animals do you have? We currently have 43, 19 wow. of them are tigers. We have four lions, a leopard, uh, three cougars, and then the rest are small cats aside from our um, kinkajous and our koatamundi, uh, which are members of the raccoon family, also pretty awesome animals. Yes, we haven't covered the, uh, them on the podcast yet, but they are definitely in the lineup somewhere for sure. Yes, yes, they are the kinkajous are just crazy. Um, and the Kawadis are, we have one named Akano and he's, he's, he's pretty awesome too. Oh my goodness. And now you mentioned that you're accredited. And so is it safe to say that not all sanctuaries, if some, if something's called the blah, blah, blah sanctuary, should we assume that they're accredited or that they're not breeding animals or that they're not buying and selling animals, like you said, or, is it more up to the, a person to do a little bit of research? So unfortunately the word sanctuary is thrown around a lot. 
Um, it is one that <clears throat> there's no, you know, law or anything that says you can't use the word sanctuary unless you are an accredited sanctuary. Um, and so it is unfortunately up to, um, it would be easy if, if there just was, um, you could only use it for that reason. However, it is up to the, the people who want to go out and visit facilities to do their homework. And, and we teach even our volunteers of how to look into facilities and if they have questions, um, because we do get these questions a lot. And so instead of always just, you know, part of being a teacher, instead of just giving the answer, we teach them how to find the answer themselves. And so it's look into their website, look at what they are doing. And a lot of places will, if they're not, um, you know, you can look on our website and we put our values, we put our mission statement. Um, we have, we have answered frequently asked questions. You can reach out to us if you have any questions as well, but it is clearly stated on our website as to what we do. And a lot of places that, um, are not sanctuaries or don't have accreditation, there can be a lot of filler in there. They're saying words that they, that they think you want to hear to make them sound like an awesome place. And it's not to say that they're not, but it is the, what can you read between the lines? What is in there or not there? Um, and the other thing is we are super transparent. We will tell you anything and everything that you ask. Um, as long as, and the only caveat to that is we have some animals who have come from some pretty, um, unsafe places and for, for their safety or safety of any animals that are still living in where they came from. Sometimes we can't divulge exactly where they came from. And so that would be the only time that we are having to say, mm, we, that's what we can't tell you. But otherwise we're going to tell you where our food comes from. We're going to tell you what our values are. We're going to tell you um, anything and everything that you ask. And there are places that I have been to who will kind of skirt around those questions because they either want to tell you what you think you want to hear, or they know that, that, they're what they're doing is maybe not um, in the best interest of animals or people or that kind of thing. Well, and I, and I must compliment you on your website. It is fabulous. In fact, <laughs> I told, I told my husband last night, I said, this website, I don't know who designed it or I, uh, we had a lot of help with it. <laughs> it it's very, very transparent. You, you said that yeah. word. It's it's and it's very clear in your mission stated and what your beliefs are, and so it makes it very easy for the reader to know to understand more about your organization and where you stand. And so, if somebody does go to either a website or they stop at a on the roadside because they you know bump into something called blah 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 sanctuary, what are some definitive red flags that should make that uh, if anybody cares about big cat safety and and in captivity and in the wild, what are some quick red flags that should make them go the other direction? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's going to be dependent on any place and, and, um, looks can be deceiving. You can have uh, a place that puts a lot of money into their, into their buildings and all that. And then you look at the enclosures and go, uh Oh, well, that's not ideal. Um, so yeah, so look at, so look at what the animals are living in and look at what, um, I, I think when people come out here to Carolina Tiger Rescue, it is, um, hopefully evident to them that our number one priority are the animals. Um, the animals are living in much better situations than our office building because we don't have, um, there, you know, the acoustics are terrible in here and there is, um, 
you know, the wooden walls, I can see right through them and that kind of thing. And that's okay. Cause it's, I'm not here for me. I'm here for them. And so, it, and it's the, ask the questions. It's, um, you know, a, a lot of places, if they're right along the side of the road and you can see the, the enclosure that the animal is living in is, has a concrete floor or doesn't have a lot of, uh, enrichment in it platforms. Um, if there's no grass, that kind of thing, those are all red flags in my opinion. And then it's also ask questions. Um, where do your animals come from? Do you breed here? If you breed here, why are you breeding? When people ask us what kind of tigers we have, our answer is they're orange. We don't have Bengal tigers. We don't have Sumatran tigers. We don't have Indochinese tigers, um, or, uh, Siberian tigers. We have, generic run-of-the-mill mutt tigers because they're bred in people's backyards with no regards to their genetics. And so if they're breeding, why are they breeding? You know, accredited uh, zoos are breeding for conservation. People who are breeding at roadside zoos, they're breeding for money. And that is why we don't breed that would take resources. Babies are expensive, no matter the species. And if we are breeding here, they're not aiding in conservation. They can't help their wild cousins. They're taking resources away from those wild cousins because that means that we have to put our resources into them. And um, that limits the number of animals that we could potentially rescue in the future. Because now we are, you know, and we are tasked with taking care of this animal for the rest of their lives. Um, and so it is that, you know, ask those questions. And if something doesn't feel right, you're probably right. I've been to places and then gone and go, no, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm you know, and, and yes, this is my job. But even when I was little, we would go to places and I go, this isn't like the big North Carolina zoo that I always frequented. It isn't, there's something different here. And, and that was, I think you kind of know, and you kind of are aware And it. If it doesn't feel right, it's probably because it's not. Yes. Katie, you bring up some really great points as far as asking questions. And I think number one, like, are you breeding? I mean, that to me is a very clear cut red flag if they say yes, and they are not an accredited zoo. And for listeners, if this is your first time tuning in and you're not, if you're not as familiar with accredited zoos and aquarium and how they breed animals. It's very, just a quick cliff notes is it's very, very specific. They have people that are highly trained in genetics and understanding how to pair up endangered animals to keep the genetics as uh, diverse as possible uh, to reduce inbreeding, right? Cousins breeding or brothers and sisters, things like that. And they're, they're trained and they work tirelessly as far with other accredited institutions throughout North America, even into Europe sometimes and other um, Australia in order to diversify genetics and obviously not obtain animals from the wild and things like that to keep this lifeboat, life raft of genetic diversity being housed under human care. So it's their species survival plan. Each species from Sumatran tiger to Bengal tiger, each species has their own plan and their own group of people in charge of keeping the the genetics as diverse as possible and not doing any, as you mentioned, inappropriate breeding. Whereas some of these backyard breeders or private owners um, or roadside zoos that's not what they do at all. They just often 
put two animals together, regardless of their genetics, um, regardless of their relations. And this rolls a little bit into the next topic I, I thought that you could maybe discuss as far as you mentioned, I love it that you have orange tigers. You have the mutts of the tiger world because there are no genetics on them because a while back, whoever acquired them never cared to, to care about that. But now there's this whole thing about designer exotic animals or hybrids like the liger. And I think for people that just like love animals think, Oh, that's cute. That's cool. It's has a mane and stripes or whatever. I refuse to look at any of the, any of the pictures of websites. Uh, but maybe, uh, you could help explain to us what the issues are with, uh, hybrids. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so it's going to be dependent on the hybrid that you're, that you talk of. And I, I am amazed at the different hybrids that are coming about. Um, well, and that's, it's not stopping. That's the thing. That's why we <laughs> no. got to get this word out there. It's like a steam train yes. rolling. It's getting worse. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's, you know, they are, they're cute. Um, if you will, but the issue is, is, you know, people say, well, will you take hybrids? And there are very few hybrids that we would actually rescue. Um, and we had to go to our board and say, is this something that we would do? Because we're seeing so many of them. And as you mentioned, the liger, the cross between the lion and the tiger, and then there's the tigon, which is, I can't remember which way it goes, but it's one is the male lion and the female tiger. And then the other one's the other way around. The issue is, is, is cat genetics are, um, you know, I, I think it was, you guys had mentioned in one of your podcasts, it's 96%, uh, cats have, you know, similar DNA, 96% of the same DNA. Um, you know, ours is closer to that of chimpanzees and gorillas than most cats are to each other. And so when you are mixing different species of cats together, genetics or certain genes are going to get lost. And because of that, it's detrimental to those animals. And so like the liger, it, it doesn't have the gene anymore to tell its body to stop growing. And so its heart and its lungs stop growing at an appropriate uh, development. Um, time. Yes, thank you. <laughs> appropriate development. But its body continues to grow and grow and grow. That's how it gets so big. And then eventually its body can't be supported by its heart and its lungs. And so it, it can't survive. This is also something that is not going to happen naturally in the wild. They don't find each other in the wild. Whereas we've seen coyotes and red wolves breeding together. And we've seen, you know, dogs and wolves, although that's more human done than anything. But we've seen some of that in canines, but it is, we don't see that in the wild with cats. Right. Um, cats look at each other and go, I don't like you. Um, and, and that's <laughs> they fair. Look at, they I look mean, at most things and say like, man, I don't like you. Unless, unless you're a source of food, I don't like you is essentially how that goes. Um, but yeah. And so the other one is, is that we see or hear a lot of our Savannah cats. So that's the cross between your domestic cat and your serval. And I had a gentleman who emailed me and saying, you know, I'd like to get a serval for my house. And I went through the, the general of this is not a good idea. And here's why there's a wild and dangerous animals, um, of our, six servals that we currently have five of them used to be privately owned and they were, they were relinquished to us because of inappropriate behaviors. Now I say inappropriate behaviors um, because they're inappropriate for the house because they're in an inappropriate place, a uh, pet for the house because they're not a right. pet. Um, mm -hmm. Our, our big tagline is predator, not pet. 
And so we have servals who have eaten things that they're not supposed to eat, phone cords and socks and, um, gosh, flip-flops. I'm trying to think of all the things these guys have eaten that they're not supposed to and have had to have surgeries to remove that. So then you take that wildcat and you breed it with a domestic cat. Um, you're not breeding the wild out of them. You can't breed the wild out of them. How long has it taken us to um, domesticate our house cats? And I would, I would, with one of my current house cats, I would say she's not domesticated. <laughs> I um, agree. I have one of those. Because holy moly, she is a terror. Um, and so what they run into is once they reach maturity about two years of age, as they exert their independence, because that's when they're not supposed to be with mom anymore. And they start to have those, those wild instincts become bigger and they become more dangerous. And so these Savannah cats, it happens with them too. And we have a sister sanctuary in Minnesota who has over 60 Savannah cats um, that people have relinquished because uh, humane societies or the, the, your local shelters can't take them. Um, and most rescues can't take them and we can't take them because we aren't set up for them. And so then, and, and even this place in Minnesota, it's our sister sanctuary with them. They have had, had to say, you know, we, we've reached our limit. We can't take anymore. Um, and so it's just that, yes, they're cute and they're cuddly when they're tiny. Um, but they're not meant or bred to be in somebody's house. It's also dangerous for the actual breeding of them. If they're, you know, yeah, there's artificial insemination and all that stuff, but if they're not taking that route, um, that's extremely dangerous and you don't, you just don't know what you're messing with. And how is that also fair to that animal? Again, that animal didn't have a a choice. and, And one of our big words around here is respect. You're not, in our opinion, respecting your animals um, when you're doing this uh, hybrid breeding or getting these guys as pets or anything like that, that's not respecting that animal and what they are supposed to be. So, Yes, Katie, I totally agree. And I think that it's an issue that needs more discussion and people need to be more educated about it because we keep seeing more of it. And I think sometimes people like, well, if everybody's doing it or then it can't be that bad and we can change and work on and help educate people. Like we touched on in the first tiger podcast episode about white tigers, that that is uh, not what people think. It's not a variety like with dog breeds and things and horses, you have varieties that are, have this coat color. That's not what it is with white tigers. It's inbreeding horrifically Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where all of them have, a lot of medical issues that places that do this probably aren't telling you about. Um, And then a lot of them end up in sanctuaries because of their size and then their health issues. If we talk about how expensive it is to take care of a normal exotic Mm -hmm. animal that's living under human care, then you take one that has all of these genetic deformities and issues. I mean, so, and then, so now if we add these hybrids on top of that, it's just, it's, as you said, it's not, it's not only, not only is it not natural, but it's not respecting the animal. And then mm-hmm. a lot of them are going to end up unwanted. And we, right. goodness knows, uh, in the United States, and I think in many other countries, we have a big enough issue with unwanted domestic animals that are draining yes. resources oh, yeah. locally or even sometimes federally on certain issues. And so, you know, if we, we don't need to add more to that, in my opinion. Right. Um, but 
When you are giving a tour or discussing this, since you are the expert with people, what do you say to someone that says, well, if zoos and sanctuaries can house an exotic cat or a tiger, why can't I? <laughs> yeah. I know. It's it's a tough well, one. What, I, because there is a little bit of a, it is a little bit of like, well, they're doing it at the zoo right. or it, it looks easy at the zoo. Why, why can't I do it? It's my, it, let's say, and, and we're going to discuss here in the next segment when we get to laws, but it's my right, right. or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it is, it, we get that question, um, luckily pretty infrequently, at least on tours only because, um, most of the people know why they're coming out here and, and get a pretty good idea once they meet Raja of, Oh yeah, he's a lot bigger in person than, than they look on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and then they meet, right. Those are some big paws. Yeah, yes. Then they get to see Capriccio who is, you know, our biggest at 489 pounds. And he's just, he's just massive. But so I think it is, but it is a, it's an important question and it is a hard question to ask, but, um, I, I would counter it typically with, um, one of our cats, uh, Aria, who has since passed away, but she was somebody's pet in the backyard of South Carolina and they had her for 10 years. And then around the time she turned 10, she started to get sick and she started to lose weight and they couldn't find somebody who would care for her. They searched all over South Carolina and surrounding areas to find a vet. And they said, no, she's a tiger. I'm not going to care for a tiger. I don't feel safe doing that. And so it got to the point where here this over 400 pound tiger got under 200 pounds. And it wasn't that they didn't love her. And it wasn't that they were not feeding her. Um, the neighbor stepped in and said, you have to do something for this tiger. And they called and, and reported the family and the, the authorities came out and said, look, you are responsible for this animal. You have to care for her. And they said, well, we've looked for a vet. We can't find one. And they said, she's still your responsibility. Just because you can't find a vet doesn't mean that that's okay. And so right. they had heard of us and called us and, and we went down and we were able to, um, bring her back to us. And she was so sick that we didn't know that she was going to survive. Um, anybody who is been around cats knows if you change one thing in their world, like when dinner <laughs> is, their whole world is ending. And so, Oh, you hear about it. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> you forgot yesterday that dinner is at five, not <laughs> five Oh five. Um, and so it is. You know, here we are taking this extremely ill cat out of her home that she has known forever to bring her up here. And we didn't know that she was going to survive the four hour trip. And luckily she did. And it turns out <sighs> what she had was, was, uh, pancreatic, um, exocrine EPI, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. So your pancreas does a couple things, obviously, um, as most of our body parts do. Uh, and one of, uh, the two things that your pancreas is known for is regulating your blood sugar. It's where diabetes comes in, but also it produces the enzymes needed to digest your food. And so the blood, blood sugar part of her pancreas was working just fine. Her pancreas wasn't producing the, di the enzymes to digest her food though. So even though she was eating, she was starving to death. She couldn't break down that food. Uh, right. So luckily we have a vet who's willing and capable of taking care of these tigers and these wild cats who was able to figure out that that's what was going on. And, um, we got her on, uh, beef pancreas, literally the processed pancreas of a cow that, and, and it is so 
corrosive that it has to be frozen or it eats itself or breaks itself down. And so then we wow. feed it with her food. And so it breaks down that food for her. So then she can absorb the calories and nutrients she needs from the food. And within three months, this under 200 pound on death door tiger was back to her normal self. And so it's, Aww. yeah. And she started to, to come out of her shell and she was chuffling. And I know you guys talked about chuffles and it is just the best thing out of a tiger, especially one who is so sick. And so just, you know, she could have given up at any point and, and we're so glad she didn't, but is she is our poster child of why even when you have the best intentions, you can't give them everything you need. And the mm -hmm. other thing is, is, you know, what happens if, uh, if something happens to you, where are these animals going to go? What happens if there is, um, you know, here in North Carolina, we have hurricanes. We just had nine tornadoes go through a couple weeks ago. Um, we have flooding. We have um, the occasional earthquake. We have, thankfully, not a whole lot, but we have um, snow and even worse, ice storms. And so what is to say that you are prepared for all of that? And yes, you have an enclosure in your backyard and our animals live in enclosures. We also have a perimeter fence around our entire property that is electric and we have backup generators and somebody stays on site and not even one person. We always have a person living here on site. There's somebody here all the time. But when there's some sort of disaster coming, the, our keepers stay and our curator stays so that um, if anything should happen, a tree was to come down or anything like that. Um, we are prepared to deal with that, to make sure that, that not only are animals safe, but more importantly, the people around us are safe. We are not, um, now we're not in the middle of a city, thankfully, but we have neighbors and luckily the neighbors have been sure. here almost as long as we have. So they're used to our animal sounds, <laughs> yeah. um, and know that we're going to keep them safe, but it is, it is a lot of things to think of. And, you know, if we again had, um, the lion who was in a haunted house in Texas that we have now, his owner passed away and left his animals to his parents. And his parents said, we don't want him. Right. We don't want right. him. Right. I and, and can't he, blame the parents. Right. And so <laughs> sent him to a uh, sanctuary in Texas. Well, that sanctuary got too big and ran out of money. And so they, we had to rescue from them. And so here, this lion who started out his life in a horrible manner of, being used as a prop in a haunted house has now moved to a sanctuary where he couldn't stay there and has then had to move across the country to us where he will live out the rest of his life. So it goes back to what's best for that animal. Yes. It's right. cool to see a tiger and maybe it's cool to have one in your backyard or to say that you had one. Um, but it's also cool to have a Ferrari and that's a lot safer. And, you know, that is, that is a lot better. And, you know, if something were to happen to you, you know, your Ferrari would be well taken care of. <laughs> you can't say that about I'll these take animals, that, right? Yes. <laughs> I think we'll You're all step lying, up for that. about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, right. But it right. is. And, and they live, um, a lot longer in captivity, you know, eight to 10 years in the wild. And, you know, our oldest tigers are going to be 21 this year. Wow. Yeah. Mona and Loki, yeah. they'll be 21. Oh, and they act so like they're, awesome. they're four. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I love it. And you bring up amazing points about process or protocols that, that are going on behind the scenes of accredited facilities. 
your sanctuary, for instance, or an accredited zoo, mm-hmm. there is a lot, anybody who's ever worked there knows there's a lot of paperwork mm-hmm. and contingency plans and protocols for disasters, for medical issues, for uh, financial issues. You can't get accredited unless you have these quote unquote contingency plans all to make sure not only the animals are safe in any type of issue that can come up or disaster and also that the public is safe right. and there's inspections and it's a, it's a whole process. And, uh, we, we need to do a, a, an episode dedicated just to that. So people can, I think, start to understand what accreditation means, right. whether it's through the AZA or through a sanctuary accreditation process that it's really increasing the standards from what USDA or, um, or fisheries and wildlife agencies like here in Florida, they have standards, mm-hmm. bare minimum standards, but the accreditation just raises the roof right. on, on making sure the animals are happy and healthy and well cared for. And then I think because we're all people that care for animals and in an accredited facility only like just want to keep raising the standards, right? And making sure that we can pretty much prepare for anything and that they're, like you said, you take care of them for life. And under private private ownership, that's almost impossible to predict. Right. And and yeah, with that being said, Katie, let's talk laws. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll forewarn the listeners if if you if you don't want to hear legalese, they maybe might want to fast forward this. Just kidding, don't fast forward this. I think this is going to be probably besides Katie's awesome story. Time, <laughs> uh, we should just we should just have her tell stories. Uh, we got to get down to a little bit of business here, and. Can you explain to me the laws for tiger ownership in North Carolina? Who can own a tiger? <laughs> Who regulates and monitors it? Does a government body make sure the tigers are cared for? Is it safe? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> I wish I could tell you the laws, <laughs> but they don't exist. Um, ah, yeah, yes. yeah. So North Carolina, uh, is one of currently, um, four states without any laws on the private ownership of an exotic species. So as, Ooh, you guys are like the wild west. We are the Yikes. wild west. Yes. Yes. The dangerous, the dangerous wild west. Wild, wild west. Yeah. So it's, uh, so the way that I kind of describe it on tour is, um, or when I'm talking with people is, you know, here in North Carolina, you cannot pick up your neighborhood box turtle and bring it home. Um, it's illegal to, uh, unless you have a rehabber's license to take in a squirrel or, or anything that, that is native to North Carolina. But, um, and this is, this is more effective when I can point at a tiger, but you know, it's not illegal to own a 400 pound tiger. And not only that's still pretty effective for me with my imagination. (laughs) Um, so there's not even, it's not even that there are no laws against it. We don't know where they are in North Carolina. And, and as I've already mentioned, hold on, back up the bus a little bit. What do you mean you don't even know where they are? Well, yeah, we have 19 tigers here at the tiger rescue. Um, but we don't know how many tigers are in North Carolina and we don't know where they could be. So we have a hundred counties and there are some counties, um, that either prohibit it or require a permit. Um, but there, and that's about 50 of our counties that either prohibit or require a permit, at least 50 of our counties that there are no laws against it. 
Um, so we don't know how many tigers are in North Carolina. And I know you guys had referenced in the first episode of tigers of how many tigers are there in the United States. And the, and the answer to that is nobody knows. There are estimates, but nobody knows. There's not a national database. There is one for USDA facilities. And of course, um, that number is about 25, uh, 2,500 for USDA facilities. And that is anyone with USDA license, um, whether you're, a, an accredited zoo or um, a zoo on the side of the road or an accredited sanctuary or a place that's saying that they are a sanctuary. Um, but we don't know how many are in the hands of private owners. Um, you know, think about it when you ha- get a cat or a dog and you have to register that they've had their rabies shots. Right. Right. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And so Katie, even when I looked up Florida, the state that I'm from, it was still a little bit of, it was still a little confusing. So what it says is that we have a partial ban on private ownership of exotic animals, but we allow ownership of some exotic animals, precluding some listed. So that, I don't even know what that means. And then we also have, it does require the owner of exotic animals to obtain a license or a permit uh, or to register the animal with the state or local authorities if they're going to privately possess the animal. And so it seems like they're, they're in Florida. They, they have to have a permit. I think. Yeah. A, a lot of times those permits cost, uh, you know, maybe 40 bucks. Um, oh yeah. And, okay. And, and some are more expensive and some require a little bit more of a, uh, you know, require a little bit more than that. Um, but I've looked at some that are, you know, to, to get a permit, it costs 40 bucks. And, and so it is, it's, it is just, it's hard and it's up to the states and it's up to the, you know, I've talked to a couple of states and working with another of our sister sanctuaries and our, and we've been going back and forth as to, um, you know, we have infographic infographics of maps of what the laws are in each state regarding either, um, both, the uh, ownership of big cats, so lions, tigers, leopards, jags, um, but also just exotic pet ownership as a whole. And we keep going back and forth because we're hearing different things. And it's not even that we're hearing different and seeing different things. We literally have both called the same states and gotten different information. Um, oh, and so geez. it is... Yeah seems to be dependent on who you're talking to there, what their understanding is. And then also how you're interpreting that. Is it that there's an actual law banning big cats in the state, or is it that your state veterinarian says that that's not allowed? Um, okay. Well, your state veterinarian says it's not allowed. If there's not an actual law, then the state veterinarian who comes in next could, you know, say it's okay. Um, so it is, it's difficult. It's hard. And it's, amazing um in some aspects that it is so hard you know we're talking about these wild and dangerous animals and it's i i question sometimes is well why why is this why is this so hard why what is the what is it about it that makes it so hard and and some of it is is um you know people think that and, and whether they're right or not, they, they have the, um, the right to own what they want to own. And so it becomes, uh, is, you know, it, it's a piece. They look at it, at these animals as a piece of property. It's my property. I can do what I want. Um, 
and so it it's just it's hard it it's really hard and and i i wish that i had an answer as to how it could be less hard but i don't have one <laughs> unfortunately well i agree because it's it baffles my mind like and currently in texas a bill just pat went through the house and they'll see if it goes through the Senate. Hopefully it right. will, but a similar bill recently went through the Senate and didn't pass. Right. And so it does seem a little mind blowing um, to, and keep in mind too, folks, uh, these bills, uh, they wouldn't permit accredited zoos and sanctuaries uh, from, from housing and displaying. And it, they would just obviously tighten up the laws for, private ownership or like you said, maybe even minimally have them be registered for goodness sakes. Like as a parent, I feel like I should be able to know if there's a tiger living next door to me. I think that would be something of interest to a lot of people to know that, or perhaps a first responder. Like let's say you're going into a house because there's a fire or a, a medical issue. I mean, you should know if you're about to open up the door right. to a 400 pound tiger for goodness sakes. Right. How is that not a law? Right. I don't, but I, I, and so what do we do? Do you have any advice of what an average person listening to this that's in maybe Alabama or Nevada or North Carolina <laughs> or Wisconsin that's like, holy snikes. Um, look, you know, looking across the street at the house and say, those, those neighbors ha- have been kind of weird. <laughs> We've all got that weird neighbor. Uh, heard a lot of chuffling. <sighs> right, right, right. Uh, so is there something the average person can do to help push these bills through? Yeah. I think our, our biggest thing that we find is people just don't know because it seems like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, common sense that surely you can't own a tiger here. Surely this is illegal. Surely we have to know where they are. (laughs) And, and the biggest thing is people just don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it is understanding what the laws are or, or there, or if there are any laws or lack thereof, um, sure. Or lack thereof in, in your area, in your state, even in your County, if you want to just go countywide, we again have a hundred counties here. One of, um, Wake County, where Raleigh is, our state capital, um, they enacted a law just a few years ago after a man's uh, three-year-old son was um, mauled by his pet tiger. And the son luckily survived, but survived with um, some traumatic, traumatic brain injuries and is, was left blind. And then Wake County said, oh, okay, well, we should fix that. Um, and they did. And so it's illegal in Wake County now, but again, there's a hundred counties in North Carolina. So it is, it is educating yourself and, and finding out what, um, is legal or not, or what their laws are, or again, lack thereof, and then contacting your representative and letting them know you're not okay with that. You know, we can sit here all day and say, we're not okay with it, but until we let our representatives know that we're not okay with it, they don't know. They don't know always that it is a problem. And again, it's that education piece of, we can't change things unless we're educating people um, that there is a problem. And so that would be the biggest thing is just finding out and, and, and deciding, are you, are you okay with this? And if you're okay with it, okay. 
Um, but if you're not, you know, for those first responders, or I think, you know, we're hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't know somebody who is a first responder. And, and, you know, if you go, well, I'm sure that there's no tiger living next door to me. Think about the different areas that they go to, as you said, and, and is it safe for them to go there? They're already putting their lives in at risk for us. Um, we shouldn't make it harder for them by right. adding that big tiger there, or even that small, uh, uh, serval who, fastest paw strike of all the cats, you know, those things can jump as taller than you. So I don't want to face one in a time of stress. Um, I don't want to face one anyway, but especially when they're stressed and you're stressed and, and that kind of thing, that's, that is a, um, very unsafe for everybody involved. And so you bring up a good point as far as probably a lot of people just haven't even really thought about it. Uh, because it does seem slightly intuitive that, that these animals should be cared for in a proper setting and they are, shouldn't, and that people shouldn't have them in their backyards and things like that. So for anybody listening today, uh, that's really perhaps haven't, hasn't given this much thought or is, is maybe thinking, well, do I agree with private ownership of exotic cats or don't I? And, what is Carolina Tigers Rescue's stance on private ownership of wildcats and also yours, I would assume? Um, we are completely against private ownership of wild and exotic species. We do not feel that at any point they should be in anybody's home, in their backyard. Um, it is it is one of those things that, um, you know, just like Aria Tiger's family, we know they had the best intentions for her. Um and we know that they, that they loved her. The issue is you can't love the wild out of them. They are predators, not pets. And you can't give them everything that they need. And so we have seen time after time after time of somebody who, again, has the best intentions, but just finds out that those are wild and they are dangerous animals. And, um, unfortunately, typically it's going to be the animal who suffers because of that. And, you know, as we said before, there are plenty of cats and dogs out there who need homes. And, um, if you happen to find one, like my, um, sweet, adorable little prim who is, um, almost feral herself, then, you know, it's like living with a wild cat without <laughs> the 400 pounds, um, you know, there it's, if you want to be around, I, I've always wanted to be around animals. It's, it's go find those places where you can do that safely. Go to your local rescue, um, go to, you know, we have 160 volunteers here and we always need more. We always have things going on and always need more, whether it's, you like to talk like I do clearly, um, and be a tour <laughs> Same guide. Here. Right? This, this interview is going to be a little bit long folks. So right? I've, got a, I've got a new bestie. <laughs> um, or it's helping on the animal care side, or, you know, I know zoos take in volunteers all the time too, or go be a docent somewhere, that kind of thing, that there's ways to connect with these animals in a safe manner and allowing the people who um, can care for them appropriately care for them. Um, and it is, you know, it is one of those things of, well, but I can care for it. And it's like, but you can't give that animal everything it needs by caring for it in your house. And, um, 
and so we again we are very much against it um we don't beat around the bush it is it is our belief that these guys should never be pets and that leads into another question about a topic that isn't as perhaps dramatic as owning a tiger in your backyard or something as that but what about taking a picture with a cub or petting a cub at let's say a local fair or a roadside attraction or maybe even at a place that's calling themselves a sanctuary. What is Carolina Tigers Rescue stance on that? We are very much against cub petting and photo opportunities with these animals. We uh, do not believe that hands should be put on these animals um, for any reason. The only time we put our hands on these animals is when they're sedated for medical procedures. When you look into cub petting and look into the truth behind cub petting, um, what I find again, which is a lot like the laws, is people just don't know. You know, when, and we understand that these. Cause it's, it's hard to, it would be hard oh to my resist, God. right? We, I we mean, we rescued a, um, a six month old cougar and my God, he's about the cutest thing I've ever seen. And I go, I, I understand <laughs> why people do this. I am not disillusioned. We are not yes. disillusioned here that how adorable they are and they seem so helpless. And the places that are breeding these guys to do this cub petting, they know exactly what to say so that you feel good about it of, well, tigers are endangered. We need to be saving these tigers. The way we do that is to breed them. You know, so we get that. But the truth is these guys can only be handled from the ages of eight weeks to 12 weeks. Um, and if you go back even a step before that is they're taken from their mothers within hours and days of their birth. In the wild, oh, yeah, horrible. and in the wild, they're, they're with their mothers until they're about two years of age. And right, so exactly. they're taken from their mother, so mom will go back into heat, and so she'll have another litter of cubs. Um, and the babies are taken, and they're bottle-fed, and they're often um, on bottles uh, much longer than they should be um, to keep them small. or to you know, Because, again, they can only be handled from the ages of 8 weeks to 12 weeks. And then the big question is, what happens to them? You know, if a facility has three or four cubs for four weeks of its life that can be handled by the public and they're making, you know, $5,000 a week on a cub, they're going to have a constant stream of cubs. Well, in four weeks, that cub can't be legally used anymore. They're not going to keep all those cubs. Instead of making money, they become a liability. You know, it costs us over $5,000 a year just to feed one of our tigers. That's just to feed them. That's not to house them. That's not medical care or anything. That is literally just to feed them. And so what happens to them? And a lot of them. Wow. You're, you're, you're making my horses seem cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it's not no, cheap. Don't, don't do it. Right? <laughs> you should also think about that too. Um, when you get horses, <laughs> but it is, it is, you know, what happens to them? And, and most of them are killed. Um, some are <sighs> sold into the pet trade. Some are sold into um, the black market because, again, a dead tiger is worth fifty to sixty thousand dollars on the black market, um, and some are kept to uh, grow up to be bred. But most of them are killed because they're not—they're not making money after they're uh, twelve weeks old. And so, you know, and then you get into they are—we uh, have two tigers now, Saber and Shenandoah, who. 
um, at some point in their life were declawed and defanged. So their, their canine teeth were filed down their, their, the tips of their toes were cut off. So their claws or their sharp parts were taken off to make it quote unquote safer for them to be handled. Um, we have, um, you know, uh, Capriccio, who's our biggest tiger at 489 pounds, he has metabolic bone disease because he was taken from mom and he wasn't given the proper nutrients at the proper time. And these guys grow so quickly from two to three pounds at birth to almost full grown. They're not quite full grown at two years of age, but um, in just two years that if you're not, if they're not given the proper nutrients at the proper time, then they're going to have some significant issues. And now this big guy has, has metabolic bone disease and he's not our only one with it. And these are the lucky ones who ended up eventually at a sanctuary, but we're not going to go take those cups from those places because then we're part of the problem. If we're offloading all of those cubs from these places, they go, Oh, we can do even more because somebody's going to save us with this. Right. And so it has mm-hmm. to be a place that is closing down and a place that is going to end that practice for us to rescue, for, rescue those animals. And so it is, what is, what happens to them? And, and again, it's the, the lack of education and, and it's not anybody's fault because again, those places know exactly what to say to get you in and to pull right. at your heartstrings and right. they know what to call themselves and all that. So they, you know, I've had people on my tour who are, who are like, Oh my God, I had no idea. And I said, that's okay. But you know, now, so what right. can you do exactly. moving forward can, for them? So you can spread the word. And that's where I, I always encourage people as far as social media goes. Okay. Let's say, obviously you're not privately owning a tiger and you've learned about, cub petting and you're not doing that anymore. Uh, but it is still fun to maybe share a sure. selfie or something of you at the zoo, a safe right, one, safe selfies. obviously <laughs> uh, either you, you at a zoo or a sanctuary with a tiger in the background or, um, or maybe even just a, a cute one of them, uh, a sure. meme or something. But I, I often wonder, is that even the best practice? Are we perhaps, misrepresenting the crisis over in Asia with what's going on and how endangered tigers and other uh, wild cats are. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a fine line of what becomes exploitation versus education. Um, And, and, or just, you know, I've had discussions with, um, with various people at various facilities and, you know, we don't take our animals anywhere. Um, and we talk about safe selfies on our tours and that kind of thing. And what we ask and what we do in part of our social media, and obviously we can't control what people do outside of here with pictures of our guys, but what we ask is we're going to try. (laughs) What we ask is, is they put some education behind it. So when we do, um, when we do any posts or anything like that here, it is, um, you know, here is, uh, Mila Tiger, um, who just got, uh, we just got, uh, whole turkeys donated to us. So she, she got a whole turkey. We feed a whole carcass diet cause these guys are carnivores and they use their carnassial awesome. teeth to yes. do this, you know, and this is how they eat that kind of thing because education is so important. We rescue and, and I feel honored to be in the place position that I am here of the education director because, Um, they go hand in hand for us of education and rescuing and we can't do 
our rescuing without our education and we can't do our education without our rescuing. And, and it is the, the partnership of that, that allows us to continue to do what we do, but it is the, you know, if you're going to the zoo and take a picture of, of a tiger or a safe selfie as, as we like to call them, you know, put some education behind it. What did you learn about it? What, you know, you went and saw that for a reason and that, that animal is at that facility for a reason, whether it's at, um, a zoo to be part of a species survival plan. All right. Well, did you know about species survival plans before? If not teach people, you know, or was it out here mm-hmm. at the tiger rescue? Um, and, and you learned about, uh, um, Mona and Moki who are rescued from a roadside zoo. What, what would be a roadside zoo and why would you not visit a place like that? Or, you know, that kind of thing. So throwing education behind it, I think is, is a good way to do that because what we don't want is to, uh, as you said, pull the attention away from them um, because we don't want people to, to forget that they're, they're endangered in the wild and there's a problem here, but it is the, well, if I see tigers everywhere, then surely they're fine. So it is pairing that. Yeah. It's not definitely not the case. Exactly. They're not fine. We're, you know, as you guys had said, a hundred thousand tigers within the last hundred years. And now we're down to 3,800 and, um, that's scary. I can't, I can't imagine. I think long and hard are, are my nephews and my niece going to know a world without them, you know, in the wild. And I'm not, I'm not worried about ones in captivity, at least in the job that I'm in, but you know, are they going to know a world without wild tigers? And it's not even just, you know, then you get into, they're an umbrella species. So it's all the species that live around them as far as orangutans and all that. But, um, it's scary to think about and it's, there's so much that we can do. And a lot of that begins in, in my opinion, and then selfishly because of my position, but it begins with the education. I agree. I we're cut from the same thread, but education is really important um, from, from many different angles. But I think a lot of it too, just to bring awareness to Many people, right. a lot of people love animals, mm-hmm. right? Um, obviously you're not going to be my friend right. if you don't know, <laughs> but a lot of people love animals, but they don't realize all the intricacies right. and it's not really their job to, if they've never worked at an accredited zoo or sanctuary, right. there's no way they can know all the issues and everything that's going on. But I think if we, if we keep telling people and sharing information about some of the big no-nos, hybrids, cub petting, roadside zoos. And one of the probably most unsafe issues is private ownership of exotic cats. And so just getting people thinking about that and hopefully if they are concerned about these cats and also their own safety, that they'll perhaps write a letter to their senator or send an a lot of times too, if you follow some of the accredited zoos or sanctuaries, like if you go on and go ahead and like um, Carolina Tiger Rescue on Facebook, which I highly recommend, uh, and they'll keep you informed about things that are going on and how you can perhaps, as an average Joe, as an average person, make a difference. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What is your advice for somebody like ourselves when we were younger or even now uh, that loves tigers or any big cats and wants to get involved with them or just wants to be around them. 
Oh, so many things. I think it's, you know, for the younger me, I would have said, just learn as much as you can. We are in an age of, of technology at our fingers, whether it works or not, um, is a whole different issue, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it is one of those things that, that you can, you know, over during summer camp, we Skyped with a, a park ranger in, uh, in Africa. Um, and there's so many different ways to connect with people around the world who are, who are taking care of these guys, whether it's, um, here in the United States at Zeus and accredited sanctuaries or it's, um, out in the field, that kind of thing. It's just learn as much as you can and, and figure out what small things you can do in your daily life that can help either private ownership or not private ownership, excuse me, kept animals in captivity, but also, um, the ones in the wild, you know, is it that we have, uh, young people who come and, will um collect toilet paper rolls and paper towel rolls for our our guys enrichment or boxes for the enrichment and I collect them yeah, every day. Yes. Yeah, so that's necessary yes. to keep these guys happy and healthy here. Um or it's you're reducing your consumption of palm oil um for the wild guys or it's simply just telling people about it. I don't know how many people I um you know I sometimes I remember that or forget that I have my my shirt on when I leave here. And I sometimes wish that I didn't just because, you know, it's, it it can be exhausting, but it's also, I have to remind myself of this is a good opportunity for me to tell other people when they ask questions of why we're here. Um, and I take that for granted sometimes. And I have to remind myself of those guys can't talk for themselves. I have to be their voice. And it may be exhausting sometimes to tell people things that you repeat all the time, but it is often the first time they're hearing it. And so if you are excited about it um, and what we teach our tour guides is if you are excited to be here and you are excited about these guys, whether you're saying it for the first time or the 500th time, they're going to get excited with you, whether it's the first time they've heard it or the 500th time they've heard it. I can go on a tour of a tour guide who I haven't been out to see in a bit and they are so excited and passionate about it that I'm like all geared up, ready to get back to the office to do something else, you know? So it's, it's one of those that it's contagious. It is contagious. And so it's just get involved and find the little things that you can do because it is a big daunting task and, and we're not tasking one person or one organization with fixing it. It is that we are asking for little help along the way so that we can help these guys, um, here in, in our animals here at the rescue situation or, and the ones out in the wild, um, because it's going to take a lot of us to, to remedy the problems that we see. Absolutely. And now you mentioned it takes a village or as you said, some of your sister sanctuaries. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners, what are some of these facilities that we should keep an eye on and either like on Facebook, follow on social media, visit if we are in the area, who should we be looking out for? So there's a bunch of us that are in uh, what's called the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance. Um, And we are like-minded sanctuaries throughout the country who, um, if you think about it, we, uh, there's not as many of us, there's about 20 around the country um, that are accredited sanctuaries. So there's not as many of us as there are like zoos. And we're not as, uh, we're not all obviously cookie cutter, just like zoos or not. Everybody's got their own, way of doing things, but it's a a great organization um, for us to kind of meet together and decide of how are we going to tackle some of these issues that we're seeing across the board. Um, 
it's not only that of it's, it's how do you guys deal with the cold weather up in Minnesota? We don't have it here, but when we do, we need to be prepared for it. So it's being able to share different um, tips and tricks as well. Or if so-and-so won't take their medication, what do you, what have you tried? But um, so other places uh, that are involved in that are um, Wildcat Sanctuary in Minnesota. There is InSync um, Exotics over in Texas. Um, uh, Black Beauty Ranch, and they have another longer name that, of course, I can't remember the name of, but that's in Indiana. There's Crown Ridge that's in Missouri. There's Big Cat Rescue down in Tampa. Um, Lions, Tigers, and Bears is out in Cal, uh, excuse me, Cal- California. Um, and then um, there is a plethora of others that, of course, I can't remember all of them, but off the top of my head, but there's quite a few and they're spread all, all around. Uh, Turpentine Creek in Arkansas is one that we work closely with here. Um, and I work with their education director as well. We were the ones working together on the map and we're both like, have a massive headache now of what are these laws and, and all of that, but we'll, we'll figure it out eventually. Well, that sounds like an awesome team of sister sanctuaries and so for the listeners, how can they find out more about this alliance? Yeah, so they have a, uh, we have a website called BigCatAlliance.org, and we have um, a conference every year. And so the website is new, so there's some stuff that's still missing, and, and because we're working with um, people all around the country and we have different time zones that we have to work with. Sometimes it's a little slow going, um, but it is something that's going to continue to build. You can also um, like Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance on Facebook as well. And there's a lot of stuff. And what's cool from them is that they will pull things from the different sanctuaries. And that's um, really awesome to see. They'll highlight a different sanctuary every so often to say, oh, you know, Roman lion got a big old turkey leg today um, at Carolina Tiger Rescue, you know, whatever, or this is happening in Nevada or this, you know, that kind of thing, which is super fun. Awesome. And I, my feet is full of them and it definitely yes. makes me smile yes. in the morning to scroll through that. And Absolutely. <laughs> uh, now focusing more on the Carolina tiger rescue, what is the best way for the public to support your work and the amazing rescue operation that you guys run? So if you're in the area, I definitely recommend coming on one of our tours. It is really hard to describe all that we do, um, whether it's on the phone, in email, or in person, unless you're here. Because it is, again, until you see these guys and hear their stories, uh, it is it is indescribable because I can't find another word for it. But... Um, <laughs> So definitely if you're in the area or passing through to come by and check us out, um, we do do tours. The only way to see our animals are on guided tours. And that is for um, a couple of reasons. First of all is, is we want to make sure that um, that we're getting our message across and that, you know, you're going to learn species information. You're also going to hear their stories. We also have animals here who do not do well with either large groups or sometimes they don't like um, uh, men and some of them don't like or get very specific and don't like men with beards, hats and glasses on. So, um, you know, when you come out on tour, we're not going to make you shave your beard or anything like that, of course. <laughs> but the ones on the tour are more social animals. Again, we never use the word friendly are more social animals who um, 
want to come up and see what's going on and see the tour and that kind of thing and are comfortable on the tour path and, and all that. And then the rest of the animals live away from the tour path. And so come on a tour. And, and if you can't check out our website, follow us on Facebook. Um, if you're in a position to donate, uh, we do raise all of our own money. Again, we don't get any federal or state funding. And so if you're able to give in any way, sometimes check out our wish list. Sometimes it's things like soap um, that we need. Dog right, like soap. old items that you might be throwing exactly. out Exactly. We did a huge <laughs> we did a huge thing recently where we wanted everybody's old perfumes um, because scent is so important to our guys. And, and we got um, tons of perfumes, which is amazing. And the stinkier, the yes, better. Yes, and... and- most women I know have that one bottle right. that somebody got them that's just not yeah. working for them, and right? that is the bottle that the cats love the most. So <laughs> um, send it on over. We'll use it. And it's stuff that we will use, um, you know, we'll need again. We have a lot now, but we're going to need it again. Um, if you are tired of your son smelling like Axe Body Spray, send it to us. Our ocelots love it. Um yeah. So anything like that. And then also just keep an eye out and let your representatives know um, if there's a lack of laws in your area or you're not okay with what the law says, let them know. That's a big way to help. Um, and just, you know, keep us in mind and keep the wild guys in mind too. When you're at the grocery store, you know, again, it goes back to the wild guys and, and we would love to be able to put a lot of focus on them. But right now we're having to um, put a lot of, focus on our guys here, um, which is fine. That's what we're here for. But we always keep those wild tigers in mind as well, because they are, are vital to ecosystems in our world. And so we want to want to keep them happy and healthy out there too. So, you know, limiting your use of palm oil and, and, um, making sure that, uh, that your choices are as green as possible. Absolutely, Katie. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today. I've learned so much and I've thoroughly enjoyed your stories. Oh, oh my goodness. Thank you. We're, we're going to have to do it again for sure. And I just appreciate your knowledge and your passion and your dedication. You are an education hero and a tiger hero in my book. Or big cat in general, right? Uh, you love them all, right? I, no favorites? No, wink, wink. of course not. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No favorites. No, and I appreciate uh, you having me on, and I appreciate you giving us a voice. And I think that that um, I know you guys reach a lot of people, and so I'm excited to to be able to get the message out there and and help these guys and and animals in general. I'm an animal lover, so it's you know I love hearing about the, all the different ones and. Can't wait to hear about the ones you have coming up because they're. I learn something new every time. I'm going, oh, I have oh, no idea. <laughs> it's de- it's definitely it's definitely fun and I, and like we mentioned, it takes a village. And so f- uh, for us, at all creatures, one of the best, um, most surprising gifts, I suppose, is all the people we've met along the way and building this network to help educate uh, people as far as animals how they live, what they need and how to best conserve them. And so I'm sure we'll keep this conversation going. We uh, talked about a lot of amazing, interesting things today. And for the listeners out there, just go to carolinatigerrescue.org to see amazing photos, fantastic websites, one of the best I've been to, and also like them on Facebook and or check out Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance. And of course, as always on our website, at allcreaturespod.com. We'll have a bio with Katie. Uh, she probably doesn't even know that she has to do that yet. Oh, and- no, I don't know that. I'll get on it. <laughs> no, it's, it's quick and easy. But, but we'll, but 
the most important part is we're going to have some of the links that we talked about today for Perfect. listeners to access it all on one page. And I'll also put up there a link in order to contact your senator in your local state awesome. if you support banning private ownership of tigers, which hopefully you do after this episode, so we can make our voices louder. People can, individual people, if we come together, we can make dramatic change. It's all just about coming, educating one another and coming together to make this change. So we're going to hopefully make it so loud that North Carolina and Texas and some of these other states will have to move forward with protecting not only the wildcats themselves, but also the public, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and thank thank you everyone for listening. Bye, Katie. Bye. Thank you. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.